Michael and, and Sarah met through a mutual friend. And from day one, they seemed to be the perfect match. Sarah was everything that Michael had always wanted. She was beautiful. She was outgoing. She was caring. She was always there when he needed her. And for the first six months of their relationship, they were inseparable. Michael could hardly think of anything but Sarah. But now, three years have, have passed. Michael still enjoys the comfort and familiarity of being with Sarah. But the spark is gone. He's not sure he finds her as attractive as he once did, and he's beginning to resent all the time that she wants to spend with him. One night, when Sarah asked if they could define the nature of their relationship, the dreaded DTR talk we all know about, Michael blew up and said, We're together, aren't we? Why isn't that enough for you? Obviously, Michael isn't ready for commitment, and it's unclear if he ever will be. I'm sure most of us have witnessed a relationship like that. Maybe you've been a part of a relationship like that. Maybe you've tried to help your friend as they went through a relationship like that. I think we can all agree it's not the best place to be. And to tell you the truth, I don't bring that up this morning because I think that, that many of us in here need relationship advice or we want to talk about our dating life. In fact, I think that uh, most of us understand someday if we have a daughter, we would probably like to steer her away from a guy like that. It's not really someone that we want our daughter talking to or, or spending time with or being in a relationship with. And, and while uh, that might be the message that we, we say we know, I think uh, if we're being honest, that, that relationship is probably the relationship that we have with the church. Many of us are in a relationship with the church, but we find ourselves kind of, kind of dating the church rather than falling in love with the body of Christ. And so that's where we're going to spend our time this morning talking about that concept. We're in a series called Letters to Movement, and these last few weeks we've been uh, patterning the things that we've been talking about after the letters of the New Testament. Most of you know that, that there are letters in the New Testament that were written to leaders, written to churches, and they were about all kinds of different things. Sometimes they were about relational things, sometimes they were about theology, they were about things that were going on in the church, but, but the leaders of these churches said, this is something that I want to ask you about. This is something I want to, I want to talk to you about. This is something I want, to, I want to speak into your life. And so a couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we can never be distracted from our first love of Jesus. We can never be distracted by ministry, by work, by good Christian things. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus and let him steer what we do. Last week, we had a chance to talk about the fact that Jesus wants to use us as he does great things and sometimes we have to look at our attitude, we have to look at our response, we have to make sure that we're giving him the things that he's given us. I'm glad that uh, there's so many people here today, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to talk about this, and I don't want you to think, well man, I've only been here one week, or, or two weeks, or I've only been here six months, this doesn't reply to me. I don't think it's a coincidence that God has the people in the room that he has here today, and I think that he wants to teach us together as he continues to mold us as a new church, as a starting church, as the fabric of Movement Church. Our big idea again for this morning is that we want to stop dating the church and, and fall in love with the body of Christ. And I want this to be an opus, open, uh, honest conversation. I don't want you to think uh, that I'm looking down and, and judging. Or I hope that you'll give me some, some room as your pastor just to, to speak about something that I see in the American church and something that I think, uh, if we're not careful, can be a problem at, at many churches. I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm trapping you in a, in a marriage or trapping you in a relationship. This isn't an episode of Mari where you find out that, that you're the dad and things are crazy and now you've got these responsibilities. So as we talk about marriage and commitment, don't, don't get too excited. But I want to I just take us through the book of Ephesians and build a theology 
of how the church was designed, what the church is supposed to be, and, and what that means for us. And then I want us to take an open, honest look and say, is that how I treat the church? Is that how I respond to the church? Is that how my relationship with the church is? And so if, I, if you've got a Bible there, I'd invite you to turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 1. It's on page 905 if you have one of the Bibles with a, a pond, a swamp scene on there. If, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's a Bible under your chair. You can turn there with us. We want to look in God's Word and see what it says about the church. We'll be turning through Ephesians and looking at some different things. The first place we want to go is is chapter 1, verse 13. Chapter 1, verse 13. Page 905. And it says this, And now you also have heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, He identified you as His own, by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom He promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us everything He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own people. This is just one more reason for us to praise our glorious God. Ever since I first heard about your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for Christians everywhere, I have never stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the wonderful future he has promised to those he called. I want you to realize what a rich and glorious inheritance he has given to his people. I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else in this world or in the world to come. And God has put all things under the authority of Christ. And he gave him this authority for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is filled by Christ who fills everything everywhere with his presence. This is an example of a letter that was, that was written to the, the church in Ephesus, one of these New Testament letters. And, and basically, Paul is just explaining this concept. Hey, you're new to following Christ. This is a new church that's formed. I want, I want to remind you of some things. I want, to, I want you to see some things. And he's saying, now that you're following Christ, here's what you have. He's saying, you've been given the Holy Spirit. You have God inside of you to guide you, to work in you, to work through you, to help you follow God, to help you live for God. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And this is his promise to you. It goes on to to say that not only have we been given the Holy Spirit to guide us, but we're given the, the church to help us grow and walk in this Christian life. We've been given spiritual wisdom and understanding It even says, if we're going to fathom our future, our inheritance, or the greatness and power we have in Jesus, or all the things we've been given to benefit us, it's going to happen when we're plugged in to Jesus' body. It's going to happen when we're plugged in to the body of Christ. The body of Jesus Christ is the church. And so if you're the kind of person that likes to take notes, maybe you're not the kind of person that likes to take notes, maybe you just found a pen in your pocket and you don't know how it went through the washer, but maybe you decided you want to write something down today, write this down because there's some things I think that we can learn about the church today. This is the first one. Number one, the church proclaims the fullness of God. The church proclaims the fullness of God. Let's go ahead and turn the page from Ephesians 1 to Ephesians 3, verse 10. Ephesians 3 verse 10 says this. God's purpose was to show his wisdom in all its rich variety 
to all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. They will see this when Jews and Gentiles are joined together in his church. This was his plan from all eternity, and it has now been carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. God's purpose, God's timeless, perfect, ultimate plan is being carried out in our lives as we're part of the church. It even says that rulers and authorities in heavenly places, people, beings, and and angels, and things that we don't even fathom, look down at God's work through the church with amazement and wonder. So we already said that the church proclaims the fullness of God. This is number two. The church proclaims the wisdom of God. The church proclaims the wisdom of God. Let's go ahead and jump down a little farther in in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now glory be to God by his mighty power at work within us. He is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. May he be given glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever through endless ages. Amen. The church is God's plan to display his power and glory. Yes, God has amazing power. Yes, he's glorious. And yes, he could choose to display that in any and every which way that he wanted. But it's his plan that he wants that to be seen in the church. The church proclaims the fullness of God. The church proclaims the wisdom of God. The church is God's plan to display his power and glory. Jump down to chapter 4, verse 11, as we're learning about the church and the gift that God has given us. It says this in chapter 4, verse 11. He is the one who gave these gifts to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ, until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature and full-grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ. Then we will no longer be like children, forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or because someone has cleverly lied to us and made the lie sound like the truth. Instead, we will hold to the truth in love, becoming more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. The church is where we can know how God has gifted us. It's where we can work out the gifts that God has given us. And it's where we can grow. The church is where God gifts us and grows us. Skip on down to chapter 5, verse 25. And you husbands must love your wives with the same love Christ showed the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by baptism in God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. The church proclaims the wisdom of God. The church proclaims the fullness of God. The church is God's plan to display his power and glory. And the church is where God gifts and grows his people. Number five here, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. That means the church is the eternal object of the Lord's affection. And I've got to be honest, we don't, we don't really know what the word bride means anymore. And to tell you the truth, I try to avoid using it. 
I, uh, I've been a part of some, some Christian circles where people love the word bride a little too much. And so they would walk up to you every week and say, hey, hey brother, how's your bride? Like you weren't allowed to say the word wife. It was like you were unspiritual. And so they, they only use the word bride. And so I find myself almost not using it. And it's not really a term that, that people talk about. And so I, I want us to understand what it means to be the object of the Lord's affection, to be pursued, to be wanted, and to be loved. And so I I brought a, a throwback clip here for us today, a little movie clip. Some of you, this might take you back to eighth grade. Some of you will be like, oh, my mom used to like that movie. Uh, but this is a clip that will give us a, a little glimpse into love. This is a clip that will give us a glimpse into what it means to be a bride and to be pursued and give us a, a concept of, of how much God loves us, how much he loves his church. So go ahead and, and check out this clip. Maybe, maybe you're looking that you're looking at that, and you're you're thinking, Mark, that's that's pretty cheesy. That's that's a movie that, that eighth graders would watch, right? And they would they would dream about their wedding someday. And 
Some of you are crying because you remember being that eighth grader. Some of you are like, I remember I want a wedding like that. I had those thoughts when they were nuzzling noses at the beginning. I thought I might throw up for a second, right? But, but sometimes we forget what it means to be, to be a bride, to be pursued, to be the, the object of someone's affection, to be, to be the one who's loved, the one who's presented perfect without a, a spot or wrinkle or blemish. That's how Jesus feels about his church. It's not cheesy. It's not, it's not over the top. It's, it's love. It's true love, and that's the image that we wanted. The clip shows the love, devotion, and pursuit that goes into to finding your bride. And if you would walk up to that guy and say, hey, I, I think you're all right, but I'm, I'm not too fond of this girl you've been hanging out with, he'd probably be pretty mad. Jesus feels the same way about his bride. And so when the church is rejected, Jesus is rejected. When the church is persecuted, Jesus is persecuted. When the church rejoices, Jesus rejoices. Because the church is his bride. And if we're going to love Jesus, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be like Jesus, we should have his heart for things. And he loves the church. He doesn't just like the church. He doesn't flirt with the church. He doesn't spend some time around the church showing interest. He loves the church. The church is his design plan and his bride. So if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to know the fullness of God, if you want to know the wisdom of God, if you want to see and display the power and glory of God, if you want to know his gifts and grow, if you want to be the bride and eternally pursued object of the Lord's affection, if you want to reflect the heart of Jesus, you need to be a part of his body, the church. We need to stop dating the church and fall in love with the body of Christ. So what does that mean? Because it sounds pretty self-serving for a guy who works at the church to say that, right? That's like, that's like a Nike salesman telling you that Adidas, they're just bad shoes. You shouldn't wear them. They'll make your feet break out or you might break an ankle or something. And you know that they're getting a cut of the money or, or something like that, right? It probably, it probably sounds self-serving and there's probably someone in the room that's like, I don't trust that guy's motives. Why is he saying this stuff? I hope you know today that, that I didn't want to share my opinion. That's why I wanted to go through Ephesians and, and look at what God tells us in his word about the church. Look at how he instructs us and the things that he says. And so I want to just take some time to give you some, some thoughts that have been rolling around in my head this last week, things that I think that, that we often think or, or live out when it comes to our relationship with the church and, and what this really looks like. What does it look like to be a part of the body of Christ, the church and the people that we see around us? And we'll look at some common red flags of, of non-commitment in relationships, some things that if we, uh, if we saw these things in ourselves or our friends, we would be like, that's, that's not good. But when we see them in our relationship to the church, sometimes we, we don't bat an eye. Some of you know that I was a, a student pastor for seven years uh, up in Powell before we came here to, to help start Movement Church. 
And uh, there were a lot of things that were interesting about being a student pastor. When you're working with, with people of a certain age, there's always good stories. And, and honestly, one of the things I didn't expect when I got into student ministry was how interesting the, the parents would be, right? Sometimes you just think like, oh, the kids are going to have all these problems and I'm going to, they'll cry and then I'll make them feel better and they'll go home and their parents will give them great advice. What I found often was sometimes that, that parents were the ones keeping their kids from, from following Jesus. They were the ones putting patterns in their life that, that sometimes weren't the best, one of the, the best things that ever happened in our student ministry, uh, my wife Kristen was able to start a, a group of girls uh, meeting together. They had a small group, a movement group, if Sarah's in the room, because I don't want to make her mad, right? Uh, and they, they had a group that got together and studied the Bible and just held each other accountable and, and talked. And uh, I went nowhere near that group because girls don't like me and don't want to talk to me. And so I would just babysit our kids at night. But Kristen had this group, and I remember uh, one week... After she had started that group, they had the first night where they're like, here's what the group's going to be, here's where it's going to meet, here's kind of the layout, where we're going, hope you can do this, we'll see you next week. And uh, this lady came up to her at church, and uh, Kristen was, was in the bathroom, like washing her hands, and this, this lady was pretty mad, came up to her and, and cornered her, right? Because everyone likes to be confronted in the bathroom, right? It's just a natural place to talk to people. And she comes right up to her, and she's like, how dare you say that my daughter isn't welcome at your Bible study? She's washing her hands, hanging out, you know. How dare you say my daughter isn't a leader? How dare you say that my daughter needs to commit or she isn't welcome? Kristen's like, good to see you too, all right? Good to, you know, and she starts talking to this lady, and this lady just gets more and more upset and more and more upset, and she said, you said this, you said this, you said this, and Kristen's kind of thinking as she replays this to me later. Didn't really say those things. And finally she looks at Kristen and she says, You're wrong. Attendance doesn't equal commitment. Attendance doesn't equal commitment. She was mad because Kristen had said, Hey, to be honest... This is an important group. If we're going to study God's word, we'd like you to be here. And I'm taking time out of my schedule, time away from my family. I would love for you to be here, and I think it's important for you. So please make an effort to be here. And for some reason, that girl felt guilty because she knew that the way her life was structured, she was never going to be there. Her family loved soccer. They were like one of those soccer families. That's what they did. And so this lady wanted, wanted us to know that even though her daughter loved school and loved soccer, she still cared about the church, and, and she'd try to be there when she could. And so she said, attendance doesn't equal commitment. And after she told Kristen that, awkwardly in the bathroom, she came and found me in the hallway, because I was waiting on Kristen to go to the bathroom, and she started yelling at me before Kristen could even come out. Attendance does not equal commitment. And to tell you the truth, maybe I'm a jerk I almost laughed when she said it because I'm, I was standing there thinking, I've never heard a more untrue statement in my whole life. That's exactly what attendance equals, is commitment. I mean, would this, would this girl have gone to her soccer coach and said, hey, I can only come like every third day, but you know I love you, right? Or would you go and tell your boss that? I mean, most of the things that we care about in our life, we're there and we're present and we're engaged. Because attendance equals commitment. I didn't make that up. I wish I could make a bumper sticker sometimes after that lady said it because it was, it was so wrong. But attendance equals commitment. And so we've been looking at this as a metaphor of a relationship. What would you say to, to someone who was not active in a relationship? What would you say to someone 
who didn't want to take their girlfriend out on dates or someone who was never around their family. You'd think there was trouble in paradise, right? You'd think that something bad was going on. I'm not trying to, to guilt trip people. I'm not trying to say you don't take vacations. I'm not trying to say there isn't time off. I'm not trying to say that if you ever miss church again, you will lose your salvation and fire will come down from heaven. And no, I just think sometimes we need to look at our relationship with the church and look at something that Jesus cares about, something that he's created for us, and ask, are we as committed as his heart would want us to be? And if we're going to let our attendance match our commitment, it might mean that we have to say no to something else. It might mean that we have to say no to something in our life so that we can say yes to the church. Because if we don't, here's something that would send a flag in a relationship. If, if you were dating two people at once, right? Maybe some of you in the room have once dated a guy who was dating two people at once. You now refer to him as scumbag, right? He's probably not on the top of your list. Imagine dating two people at once, and, and we would think that was terrible in a relationship, right? And yet, if we look at our relationship with the church, we look at our relationship with the bride of Christ, that's probably what might be happening. There, there are some of us who are dating football. There are some of us who are, who are dating a group of people. I saw people like getting nudged when I said football. No guilt trips, guys. I'm just bring up something, all right? There are some of us who are dating a group of friends. There are some of us who have a job that goes way past providing and, and honestly owns our family. Some of us who are dating working out or we're, we're dating the concept of sleep. That is what our weekend is. That is what our life is. It's just trying to stay alive and trying to sleep. And if we're being honest, we have two gods in our lives. We're dating the church and we're dating this other thing. What do we need? We need, a, we need a status change. Again, looking at, at a relationship and something that would be a red flag. Have you ever had a, a friend who dated a girl for like nine years and after a while people started to talk and they were like, hey, so about uh, that dating relationship of yours, maybe, maybe it's time for this to go somewhere. Have you guys ever talked about marriage or maybe your grandma has a ring she's given you that you, you know, like people just ask these weird roundabout questions because after a while, people expect there to be growth and a change in status. They expect things to get Facebook official, right? Or they expect you to say that you're not just in a relationship. They want you to actually put the person's name there and maybe commit to them and tell the world. They want you to say that you're engaged. They want something. Attendance equals commitment in a relationship. We shouldn't be dating two or three or five people at once. And some of us need a status change. After eight, nine, or ten years, there should be some, some growth. There should be some development. Our dating relationship should be moving on to something else and, and going somewhere. I guess I have dumb friends because I keep coming up with all these examples of, of ways that guys have made me laugh as, as they date. Here's another one. I have a friend who, who used to date girls just through the holidays. Like literally, I was at a Thanksgiving party one time and this guy... I was like, hey, I met your new girl. She's pretty cool. We're over there getting pie at the same time. And he's like, oh, I'm dumping her January 10th. And he was completely dead serious. And he dumped her on January 10th. He just wanted someone to buy him presents and go to parties and give him someone to hang out with during the holidays while he was off school and, and out of work. And so he would have like a, a seasonal girlfriend. I'm not going to tell you his name. Maybe he's in the room. You'll never know. No, he's not. It's not in the room, I promise, all right? But that's what, that's what people do. He wanted someone when he needed that person, but he didn't want to commit. 
He didn't want things to get serious. Here's the reality. Things needed to be serious in his life with, with someone. He needed someone to say, hey, you're being stupid. He needed someone to balance him, right? He didn't want that because when you, when you love someone, when you commit to someone, when you engage in someone's life, when things get real, it, it can be an inconvenience, right? I mean, those of you who are married in the room, chances are your spouse has probably inconvenienced your life on one occasion, right? Or a thousand occasions. Or maybe your mother or father or your siblings, people that you're committed to, people that you love, regularly inconvenience your life. It just happens. I find myself a few times a week thinking, why did my wife do that? And then I, I tell myself how pretty she is and that it's all worth it, right? And, and she probably does the same thing with me, minus the pretty thing, because it's not really happening, right? But there, there are times that if you're committed to someone, they're going to do something stupid or something that they think is right in the moment, or they're just going to need you, and you're going to be inconvenienced from your plan and your desire for that day, and you're going to have to give to them and be selfless. And if someone wasn't willing to be selfless and your friend was dating them, you probably wouldn't say, hey, that's a great relationship. Kudos to you. I like the way that's structured. If your friend was dating someone that wasn't willing to invest in that relationship, you'd probably tell them to to dump them, right? You ever had a friend that just won't take anyone on dates? They're like, hey, I thought you could come over to my house and we could uh, drink that half two liter of pop that's been in my fridge and maybe we could watch some some movies on tbs i thought that'd be romantic right everybody's had a friend like that that just doesn't take a girl out doesn't take her anywhere doesn't buy her gifts doesn't show her affection i don't want to harp on this again i don't want to be the the pastor who's talking about money or attendance because he works here and i don't want you to see my heart that way but the reality is where you're giving money where you're invested shows where your heart is If you're not invested, if you're not putting money towards something, that probably shows where your heart is also. And if your friend was was in a relationship with someone, spending time around someone, they weren't taking them on dates, they weren't buying them gifts, they weren't willing to even pay half for a meal, you probably wouldn't be like, that is awesome. I like the way your relationship is working. That's some good stuff. Way to really show commitment. No, and so if, if you're not invested... In the church, if you're not invested in the body of Christ, it probably shows where your heart is. It definitely shows where your heart is. It shows the things that you love. I've known uh, people who won't bring someone that they're dating around their family. Because that's the, that's the sign of when it gets serious, right? If they meet your mom, mom's going to think you're engaged. Then it's serious, and it's all downhill from there, right? So... They just go on dates, and when, when their family asks, they're like, me, dating? Nope, nope, not dating anyone. No, I just, I can't find the right one. You're so awesome, Mom. The bar's so high. I'm trying. When, you, when, you, when you're committed to someone, they're a part of your life, and they show up in your life, and they know your life. And so when you're committed to the body of Christ, when you've fallen in love with the body of Christ, when you're committed to the church and you've fallen in love with the church, your family will know that. And your friends will know that. And your neighbors will know that. And so how can we test ourselves and say, am I dating the church or have I fallen in love with the church? Do the people closest to you who don't go to that church, do they know about the church? Have you invited them to church? Have they seen your church affect your life? or they, Have they seen the presence of your church in your life? 
Because when you're serious, your mom will know about it, and your neighbor will know about it, and your coworker will know about it, and your closest friend will know about it. When you're dating, you're trying to do something on the side, and you're not really committed, you don't really want to tell people about it, sometimes no one knows. When you're committed, everyone closest to you in your life knows. We've written this metaphor of, of dating and, and marriage, and, and some of you are thinking, I don't really like the concept of marriage. In fact, I don't want to be married for like 10 or 15 years, maybe. And you're thinking, that's okay. You're kind of being a little crazy about the marriage thing, Mark. I'm, I'm 23, all right? Chill. I'm not even out of college yet, or I'm, I'm, I've got so much I want to do. I've got to get four or five degrees still, and I've got to get six promotions till I can buy a house and we, we like to justify things sometimes because of our, our age. And again, if you think about a, a daughter that you have, would you be like, oh, honey, the guy you're dating is not treating you very well, but he's 21, so I'm going to give him a pass, all right? He's, I, I think, it'll, I think it'll, it'll pass. Commitment isn't, isn't based on our age or a, or a phase of life. It might be for your marriage. I'm not telling you to get married, all right? But I, I'm saying in our attitude to the church, in our attitude towards something that Jesus loves and has created for us and believes in and wants us to be a part of, that's not based on our age or a, or a phase of life. And let's be honest, guys. We're, we're a young church, right? Ever look around and just think like, man, I'm old. Because I have, right? We, we're, we're a young church. I've had, I've had friends who have come and visited our church and said, Church, uh, church kind of kind of feels like a college ministry sometimes. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel awkward. I'm just going to tell you what people say. I'm very okay with that because then I tell them that their church is old, right? I turn it right back on them, right? But but I have friends that are like, yeah, your church is very young, and, and there are some awesome things about that. There are some intimidating things about that, and so I think that if if we're not careful, we can just kind of think like, oh, we're in our twenties, we're in college, we're we're this, we're that, and most people don't really commit to anything until they're like forty tops. I mean, really, until then, life's kind of just like written in pencil, and then some things start to get permanent after a certain time. First Timothy four twelve says this: Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you teach in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. I get it. We're, we're a young church. Even those of us that like to think we're old in here, as a group of people, as a body of Christ, as a local expression of the church, we're young. We're under a couple years, right? And so we haven't completely formed, and yet I want us to be a church that sets an example for Christians everywhere. I want us to be an example for this city, the way that we represent the gospel, the way that we love the body of Christ, the way that we live our lives, the way that we share our faith. We want to be an example for believers abroad, people that are watching us, people that see us, people that need an example, people that need awaken to the fact that the church is a big deal and the church should be cared for and we should fall in love with the church. I want people all over this city to know that the way that we share the gospel, the way that we plant churches, the way that we care and put our finances and energy toward the local church, we want that to be an example. Age is not an excuse. We want to stop dating the church and fall in love with the body of Christ. Because when we're, when we're dating the church, we're missing what God has for us. We're missing something better. We're cheating ourselves. We're cheating Hilliard. We're cheating West Columbus. We're cheating the, the world. God has included us in his master plan to redeem the world. And he wants us to be a part of that. The church is the context that he gave us to love him, to love others. 
It's where we're strengthened and transformed, taught to pray, taught to worship, taught to serve. It's where we're taught to invest our time and abilities in eternity. It's where we can grow in our roles as friends, sons, daughters, moms, dads, husbands, wives, and men and women. The church is God's plan, and it's what He loves. It's the single best place to start over, to grow, to change. When we stop dating the church, we're not adding to our to-do list, like, yep, now i got to be serious about this, the old ball and chain wearing me down, this is another thing. It's not another thing, it's not a to-do list. We're finally starting in those moments to experience God's plan and to experience His blessings and to experience His promises. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to know the fullness of God, if you want to know the wisdom of God, if you want to see and display the power and glory of God, if you want to know His gifts and grow, if you want to be the bride and eternally pursued object of the Lord's affection, if you want to reflect the heart of Jesus, you need to be a part of His body, the church. There's a passage in Hebrews that says this, Let us consider how we can stir one another to love and good deeds. Good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I don't know if you guys know the Story Movement Church. Many of you do, some of you do. There was an original core of people who said, we, we dream of, of a church that would impact lives. We dream of a church that would change the way people view the church in Hilliard and West Columbus. And we want people to know Jesus and be found in Him. We want people to find their way back to God. We want to be that church. And there were people who moved and people who switched jobs and people who came from other states and people who sold their homes and people who inconvenienced themselves so that you could sit in the chairs that you're sitting in so that we could be in the YMCA today and that we could be a billboard to the community. And we're not perfect and we're not huge, but we were serious about this thing called the church. And we said that we wanted to always be serious about this thing that we called Movement Church. And so we came to build something that would, that would take hold, and we wanted to watch it grow. And we took it serious because we believe that Jesus takes it serious. And we have a heart for the church because Jesus has a heart for the church. And so I don't know what that does in your heart or what that stirs today, but I hope that in some ways it can be a wake-up call for us. I hope that in some ways it just gets you like a personal pep rally and makes you feel excited about what you're called and what you can be a part of. We want to see people connect here. We want to see people connect through our movement groups. We want to see people connect through serving. And when we do that, we see a fuller picture of Jesus. We see who he is, and we grow in our relationship with him. I heard a story one time of of, uh, penguins when they're uh, way up in the Arctic and and how they stay warm. Basically, they, they get in a circle, and they walk in a circle, and they're like 10 deep in the circle, They just keep walking and walking, and they keep their bodies moving so that there's motion and so that they're close to each other and so that there's warmth. And basically, what they'll do is they'll just walk toward the center, and the people who are in the center, those those penguins kind of keep walking and eventually get to the outside, and they'll find that when they're on the outside, they get get cold, and the world is kind of taking effect on them, and the things that that didn't really matter when they're in the center are starting to to impact them. The things that are are out there are starting to to really have an, an effect on them. It might be sin, it might be, might be marriage, it might be life, it might be friendship, it might be your job, it might be your attitude, it might just be the, the weight of the things that you've got going on. But when those penguins realize that, that they're cold, when they realize that, that things aren't going well, when they realize that, that they need the, the other people in their group, they just start walking to the center of that circle. 
And so it's kind of just like a, a giant tornado. They find themselves on the outside. They find that they need more, and they walk until they're in the center. They walk to the middle of that group, and that group takes care of them. And that group keeps them warm, and that group gives them life. That's what we want the church to be. That's what we want movement church to be. And that's not just an infomercial because we know and trust and believe that Jesus is in this church and when you walk to the center, when you find yourselves in the center, that you will be blessed, that you will grow, that you will see him and it will change and impact your life. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for my family. That's what I want for you as the body of Christ. That's what I want for us. So maybe you're like, yep, I'm good. But maybe you're saying, you know what? I've had a... I've had a careless attitude toward the body of Christ. I haven't treated it like the bride of Christ. I haven't, I haven't really cared and said, you know what, this is something I want to be a part of. This is something I want to engage in. This is something I want to give myself to. And I haven't tried to walk to the center. I've just kind of been hanging out around the outside and not realizing that I'm getting cold, not realizing that, that my, my life and my, my growth is falling off. We have a, a table over here called the Next Steps table. And every week we, we say that that's a place that you can take a next step. That's a place that you can get involved but I believe today that some of you need to take a next step and go to that table and say, hey, I want, I want to serve. I want to give my gifts so that I can grow, so that I can bless others. It might be in kids, might be in creative arts production. I don't know what it is, but you'll say, I want to give my gifts. Some of you will say, yeah, I've been told that I should be in a movement group, and I've thought about that. I've never actually been to one. I need people to share life with. I need people to, to pray for me. I need people to, to Facebook me and just ask how I'm doing during the week. I need people that care. That's what the body of Christ and that's what the church is built for. And when we stop dating the church and fall in love with the body of Christ, we will know love and we will see love and we will embody love. And I want that for us. So what step do you need to take today so that you can follow Jesus and love his church, know the fullness of God, know the wisdom of God, display the power and glory of God? to know his gifts and grow, and to be his bride, to reflect the heart of Jesus. What needs to change in your attitude toward the church? Stop dating the church and, and fall in love with the body of Christ. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it teaches us. Lord, thank you for giving us a clear picture of, of how you've designed the church and what you want it to look like and what it is and what it can be for us. God, I pray today that that we will, we will see your heart and know your heart, Lord, that we won't feel judged or we won't feel like we've listened to an infomercial, Lord. We just want to be your church. We want to live out your love. We want to take care of each other. We want to minister to each other and be your hands and feet, be truth and be light and be the gospel in the lives of each other and in, in people in Columbus, Lord. God, help us to, uh, to be people of action as we've seen things in our lives that need to change, as, you've, if, as your Holy Spirit that you've given us has whispered in the back of our mind, I'm talking to you. This needs to change. This is something you need to work on. I pray that we'll respond to that. I pray that we will take action. I pray that we will be excited about loving your church and being a part of your church, being engaged in your church because we love you. God, help that to be something that defines us and is an example to others. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen.